I've noticed a trend over the past five or 10 years or so uh, around our offices that regular desks and chairs are no longer in vogue. Have any of you noticed this where you work? Like, like, you know, just like having a desk and a normal chair with your computer and all that, like that's just not, it's not cool anymore. Uh, now I've noticed a lot of our staff have these like uh, remote controlled stand-up desks. Have you seen these things? Like originally it was just like a taller desk where you had to stand all day like a caveman without a chair. And then it became like you could like manually lower it. And now they have like this electronic system, right? Like it goes up and down, right? You can like these stand-up desks. And, and, and then I've noticed there's like this evolution now. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, there are treadmill desks. Have you seen this? Where literally there's like this mini treadmill and then like a desk and you put your computer on it and you can walk while you're working. Have you seen this? I, like the first time I ever saw this, I thought it was like some type of torture device. You know, like I find email torturous enough. Don't you like, don't take my chair away from me on top of it. But there's like treadmill desk. And then I saw this, this is absolutely true. There's a cycling desk where you can cycle while you work. Have y'all seen this? And I'm thinking, okay, all you cyclists out there with your spandex and aerodynamic helmets, like just keep all that to yourselves and don't bring that into our workplace, okay? I'm already trying to avoid you on Saturdays. You're driving on the road swerving and I'm trying to block out the spandex and all this other stuff, right? And now there's like a cycling desk. And, uh, and then I noticed this too, like people thought, well, these new desks aren't enough. They got to change up the chairs. So there's some people who have like these big oversized exercise balls for a chair. Have you seen that? Well, it's good for your core, right? Well, let me tell you what's good for my core. Peanut M&Ms, okay? <laughs> That's what's good for my core. A chair with some peanut M&Ms right there. Anybody with me on that? Okay. That's what's really good for your core. So we, I, I've, I've seen people with these big oversized <laughs> exercise balls. And every time I see it for some reason, I think of Richard Simmons. Does anybody else have that thought? I don't know why I think that, but I'm like, okay. And then there's like now, I guess, I guess what happened is people got made fun of so badly for the oversized exercise ball chair. Now they actually have chairs with like a mini exercise ball built into the seat as if you're gonna get made fun of less for that. And so like there's this evolution of, okay, I've gotta be active at work and I've gotta, <laughs> I've gotta have a certain seat to build my core while I'm doing my email. And actually I get it, like uh, I'm having a little fun with it, but I mean, I get it. I mean, not, I'm not gonna do it, <laughs> don't get me wrong. <laughs> I mean, I'm not giving up my penis. You don't get these abs from exercising, okay, that's not, that's not how that works, okay. A lot of peanut M&Ms, but I, I get it, I really do. I'm having a little fun, but I get it because this is actually true. It's gonna sound a little weird maybe, but it's true. The longer you sit, the more lazy you feel and become. <laughs> that sounds kind of weird, but it is actually true. And a lot of us are dealing with this, right? over the past 20 or 30 years, we're less active 
you know, we're all kind of more tied to a desk or a cubicle and we've got email and our computers and everything. So I totally get this movement of let's try to be a little more active because it is true. Like the, the longer you sit and rest, the more lazy and even fatigued you become. And it sounds a little awkward to say the, the more you rest, the more tired you feel. Of course, the dynamic here is if you over rest or you're, you're, you're not active enough, you actually feel more tired. Isn't that crazy? Like if you sit in one place for too long, if you're not active, like you actually will feel more tired and you will become more lazy over time. And so... I'm not about to get no treadmill desk, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but it is true that if you just stay in one place for too long, um, you become overly fatigued. And that's not just true physically. Actually, I was thinking about this the other day. It's true spiritually as well. Like if you don't exercise your faith on a regular basis, if you're not active in pursuing Jesus, if you're not serious about walking with him, like if you're not a generous person, if you're not trusting him with your finances, like if you're not leaning into his design for your marriage, like if you're not pursuing Jesus in how you live your life, like, like if you're not really exercising your faith, what happens? Your faith grows tired. You become more lazy. It's funny, the longer you rest, the more lazy you become the more tired you get because you're made for activity, right? You're made to work. You're made to use the bodies that God has given you. And so spiritually, I was thinking about this the other day, like I think there's a lot of people today who approach what we know as the church, this mission and movement that's changing the world, they, they, they almost approach it as consumers, Right? Sit and soak, consume, absorb, and, and there's a place for what we do collectively and corporately. But God's design for your life has never been come and sit and soak one day a week and then the rest of the week just kind of coast. What happens is if you're not active in your faith, your faith will become fatigued. And I think some of us need an exercise ball chair <laughs> when it comes to our faith, right? Like we, we need to build the core. We, we need to exercise what God has given to us in terms of our faith, in terms of our relationship with him. And, and that's what Bell Shoals Church is all about. If you're new to Bell Shoals, I want you to know, I mean, we're, we're a part of a mission and a movement that's changing the world. And we believe that God has has saved us, gifted us, equipped us, empowered us to make a difference in this world. And if you're new to Bell Shoals, I just want you to understand our hope for you is not that you'll be connected here in such a way that you just kind of sit and soak as a consumer whose faith grows lazier over time. We hope that you'll be a part of what God is doing here in such a way that you'll be active, you'll be engaged, okay, you'll trust the Lord in every area of your life and you will join in what God is doing here and around the world. Because when your faith is active and you're pursuing God's will for your life, there you discover what Jesus referred to as life to the full. And see, that's what this whole thing is all about, right? And so we've been in this series called The A-Team where 
I hope you've been encouraged to see that you are God's plan A for reaching the world. Every single one of you have a part to play. Every single one of you have gifts to apply. All you need to do literally is exercise your faith, trust the Lord in every area of your life and commit yourself in some way to using the gifts that he's giving you. And what you'll discover is that God will use you in ways maybe even you never thought possible and you will absolutely experience life to the fullest. Because we've been seeing that God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. That's always been his design. Today, I just wanna show this to you really in what we know is the dawn of the church 2,000 years ago that God began to spread this movement known as Christianity through primarily average, ordinary people. And so if you have a copy of God's word, go with me to Acts chapter 8, all right? We're going to be in Acts chapter 8 today. And I want you to see one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible one of the most encouraging chapters in all the Bible. And I just want to encourage you today to see your place and your part in this mission. I want to encourage you today, if it applies to you, to get off of the bench and get into the game because you are God's plan A for reaching the world. Let, let me just show you the very first part of verse 1 here. And I want to show you the context because it's absolutely profound. It says this, Saul who later becomes the Apostle Paul, right? But at this point in time, he's still a proud Jewish Pharisee who had enough with this movement called the way. All these believers run around Jerusalem preaching Jesus. And so Saul was one of the witnesses, we are told, who agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Now you go back to chapter 7 and you see that Stephen was, check this out, an average ordinary dude. He wasn't one of the apostles. Stephen was uh, an average ordinary man who God used in an extraordinary way. And Stephen became a lay leader of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem. <laughs> and, and, and as God is really working in the city of Jerusalem and the church is thriving there, Stephen became a leader, a lay leader. He wasn't an apostle, but God used him in such a great way. And, and, and because of his leadership, Eventually he's arrested, he's brought up on false charges and he's killed, he's put to death. And we learn here that Saul is one of the ones kind of leading the charge and, and he's the tip of the spear in persecuting the church of Jerusalem. And, and, and so you've got this um, crisis now that has surfaced in Jerusalem. All these believers are there, we know it's in the thousands. But we got a problem because with Stephen's death, the Pharisees and the opponents of the work of Jesus are emboldened and a number of the believers are frightened. Stephen's death was a big deal. It was like, okay, if they can do this to one of us, they can do it to all of us. And so let me show you what happens next. Look, look, look back there again at verse one. And so, and so a great wave of persecution began that day. Again, that was kind of like, boom. Okay, they're gonna start killing us. And so check this out. It swept over the entire church of Jerusalem and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And some devout men came and they buried Stephen with great mourning. 
right? But Saul, here we see it now, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. And he went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Again, it's like, okay, they put Stephen to death and that emboldened these opponents. So now they're literally Saul's going from house to house. But look at verse 4. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. And Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and he told the people there about the Messiah. And crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. And many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. We just see these miracles validating the true gospel. And so look at verse 8, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. There was great joy in that city. The gospel begins to work. And the gospel begins to work outside of Jerusalem. And this isn't how you and I would kind of design the growth of the church. Like, okay, it's going to happen through widespread persecution, imprisonment, and even martyrdom. But God understood that the fastest way to expand the work of the gospel was not through an elite missionary force known as the apostles, It was through the spreading out of average, ordinary people filled with extraordinary power. And the persecution in Jerusalem was the mechanism that God used to get all of these Christ followers through all of Judea and Samaria. And there's something there for us. Some encouragement for us. And so just a couple things that I want to flesh out. This has been the theme for the past few weeks, but let me kind of bring it home today. First of all, one last time, I want to remind you that God works through ordinary people. If this is your first week with us, hey, here's been kind of the theme. All right, God works through ordinary people. This should encourage you. This is not just some type of like spiritual talk or goofy encouragement. This is the truth. This is the record of human history over the past 2,000 years. God uses ordinary people. And and there's a phrase back in verse 1 of chapter 8 that we so easily just read past, but it's such a big deal. And let me me put it back up on the screen for you. I want you to see it, and I want you to absorb this deep into your heart. Here it is. Look at this. As As the persecution swept over Jerusalem, notice this. All the believers, here it is, except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, Samaria. Did you just read past that the first time? Did you just see that as a little bit of historical detail? No, 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 no. That's a really big deal. That is a huge statement. The persecution is sweeping through Jerusalem. And so the believers began to flee, frankly, for their lives. And they're having to relocate their families. They're having to live in new communities. They're having to take on new careers. And all of these believers are being scattered all throughout Judea, Samaria, outside Jerusalem, except the apostles. That's like me saying to you, and the United States went to war except the armed forces. Would that give you confidence? Think about it. You got Bubba, your, your neighbor, coming out there with two ARs, baby, and a bandana, right? 
Sweet home Alabama ringing out from his truck. I got this, right? Would that give you confidence? And the United States went to war, except the armed forces. People like me leading the charge with my normal office chair and peanut M&Ms, that would give you confidence? Jason Millsaps, our lead worship pastor, with his spandex and fancy bike. <laughs> you really want that guy firing a gun? And the United States went to war except the armed forces. That's what you should read in Acts 8.1. The believers were scattered all throughout Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. And yet we know historically that revival spread throughout Judea, Samaria without the apostles. And do you know why the gospel spread throughout Judea, Samaria without the apostles? Because the power of our gospel is not tied to man. It is tied to the power of God. And how for 2,000 years has the power of God spread throughout the known world. It has spread through the work, through the faithfulness, through the intentionality, through the generosity, through the testimony of average, ordinary people. That's why the branding for this series, I hope you noticed it and appreciated it, is the A team with a little A. Did you notice that? A little A. A lot of creativity went into that little A. <laughs> it's not a capital A. Because God's plan A for the world is you and me. It's just average little A people, not royalty, right? Like, like not people who are known throughout the world and global influencers. Listen, God's plan A for reaching the world is to use ordinary people, okay? Secondly, write this down, who are filled with extraordinary power. God works through ordinary people filled with extraordinary power. And you know what all these believers who were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria took with them? Well, their families, what possessions they had. Oh yeah, and the gospel. And they began to go to places like Samaria where Philip landed and God's beginning to work in a powerful way. And they went to this city on the northeast coast of the Mediterranean Sea called Antioch, a Roman province at the time that was growing in influence. And there in Antioch, God began to work in a powerful way. How? Through average, ordinary people. And and the first Baptist church of Antioch is born. <laughs> and it becomes, check this out, the most important church of the first century. From Antioch, north of Jerusalem, right? North of Samaria, there on the northeast coast of, of the Mediterranean Sea, there in Antioch, God 
puts together a, a, a home base of missionary activity that changed the rest of the world. It was from Antioch that the Apostle Paul launched his missionary journeys. It was from Antioch that God began to work all across Asia Minor. And here's the thing, right there in Antioch, this strategic church. I mean, again, the most profound church of the first century, God's working. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know who started that church? No, you don't. Do you know why you don't know that? Because you didn't come to vacation Bible school as a kid. And had you come to vacation Bible school, there would have been a song to teach you who started the church of Antioch. No, 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 no. Do you know why you don't know? Because none of us know. Isn't that amazing? None of us know who started the church of Antioch. Now let that sink in. The most important church, ground zero for the missionary work of the first century church. We don't even know who started it. So let me tell you generally who started it. Ordinary people who fled Jerusalem, filled with extraordinary power, and were faithful to tell others about Jesus. And actually, Acts 11 kind of fills in some of those gaps for us. We don't know who other than it was ordinary people. But let me take you to Acts 11 quickly. I just want, just look at what happened. So here's what happened. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death, they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. And they preached the word of God first to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus and the power of the Lord was with them. And a large number of these Gentiles believed and they turned to the Lord. And when the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Like, Barnabas, you got to go, man. We're hearing about this incredible work up in Antioch. The apostles are still in Jerusalem. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. He encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord because Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord and then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who at this point had been converted to Christ. He brings Saul, who will become Paul, into Antioch. And both of them stay there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. Now check this out. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. How awesome is that? Our legacy is tied to a church that none of us know who started. It was average Ordinary people filled with extraordinary power, telling other people their story, talking about Jesus, sharing the gospel, inviting them to come. And guess what? God does a great work. Because the power of what you and I are called into is a power not tied to us. It's a power tied to Jesus. And if you'll just be faithful to tell people your story, if you'll be faithful and invite people to come with you, it's not that everyone's going to be converted on the spot, but God will absolutely use your testimonies. He'll use your invitations because the power of your conversation when it's tied to the gospel is not tied to your presentation. It's tied to the work of Christ. And this is how God works. He works through your 
activity. He works through your generosity. He works through your conversations. He works through your invitations, even today. Because this is God's plan A for reaching the world. He works through ordinary people filled with extraordinary power. Last thing here, check this out, to bring joy to our city. He works through ordinary people filled with extraordinary power to bring joy to our city. You know what he does there in Antioch? He just, he works through those men and women who were talking about their faith, talking about Jesus, sharing the gospel. And, and, and Philip did the same thing in Samaria. Philip goes to Samaria and he begins to work. And God in that season of human history is validating the gospel in these places. It was preached for the very first time with signs and wonders. And Philip is just doing a great work there. And here's what happens. Wherever God's working, joy is spreading. And there was joy there in Samaria. And there's joy there in Antioch. And God's working in such a way through average ordinary people that he's bringing joy. And, and I want to encourage you today to be a part of the 18. Not just to consume, right? Not just to sit and soak, but to get in the game, to give, to pray, to serve, to be a part of what God is doing. If you've never been on a mission trip over the next couple of years, to go on a mission trip with us. To be a part of what God is doing. This is what Jesus was talking about. He's talking about living life to the fullest, right? To be a part of what he's doing and then just to know that God's using you. And, and you may be here today and you're thinking, I'm not sure God can use me. But no, look at who he's used historically. Just average people fleeing for their lives. And as they talk about the gospel in these new communities, God is multiplying their work. This is how God has always worked, Right? Do you, do you remember, let's just go back. Do you remember Abraham and Sarah? God gave Abraham a promise, but then he tested Abraham's faith. He, 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 his desire was for Abraham's faith to be active and engaged. And so God did not give Abraham that child, right? Early in life, Abraham and Sarah did not start having children until they were old. And I'm not talking old like they were in their late 30s. I know some of you are like, man, when you turn 40, you are old, right? No, 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 no. They weren't. 40 and old, okay? Abraham and Sarah were in the last stop Sunday school class in their church. That's what some people used to call a church I pastor. They said, Pastor, we're in the last stop Sunday school class. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The last stop Sunday school class. Abraham and Sarah were in the last stop Sunday school class. And you know what they don't have in that Sunday school class? Pregnancy announcements. All right, when you go to your last stop Sunday school class at 9.30 on Sunday morning, nobody ever says starting out. All right, anybody have a pregnancy announcement today? Abraham and Sarah had a pregnancy announcement. Joseph was a man that God used to save his people. As the younger son of Jacob who was spoiled and favored as a result, tortured by his brothers, left for dead. God humbled him. God grew him through his suffering, and he became an instrument of salvation. Nothing special about Joseph other than that fancy coat his father put on him. God used a man named King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. The king, by the way, who along with Abraham established the genealogy of Jesus, right? And David, the king... 
who established a throne that Jesus will rule and reign on forever and ever and ever. You know who that David was in his family? He was the youngest. And when, um, when Israel had to anoint a king and Samuel was given the responsibility for that, they had like a little, um, I don't know, like the bachelor Israel edition kind of thing. And it was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to find the next king. And you know what David's father did? He brought all of his sons to the, let's find the next king of Israel, except David. He brought all of his brothers, said Samuel, check out my boys here. And Samuel's like, um, excuse me, uh, don't you have another son? Oh, yeah, 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 he's back home. He's, he's the one cleaning all of the uh, poo-poo out the stalls, you know, so all my other boys, my real boys can be here. Samuel said, that's interesting. I'd like to go take a look at him. David's father didn't even bring David to the place where Samuel would anoint the next king of Israel. And God said to Samuel, that's the man. We've seen over the past couple of weeks, Peter, James, and John, average Jewish fishermen, Matthew, an outsider, the man born blind, an average dude with an amazing testimony. Here's my point. God has always used average ordinary people to do extraordinary things, filled with his extraordinary power. This is how God works. You know what the scripture says? God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He uses what we would describe as weak to shame the strong. And God does all of this because we do what we do for his glory and not our own. And so if there's any shred of doubt in your mind today as to whether or not God can use you, I hope you will remove it by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you because God has a tremendous plan for your life, your family. And if you will simply get out of your seat and get into the game, God will use you in a profound way. You are plan A.